Oh, Wakem, welcome, Wakem. That's weird. Wakem's Wake fine. Wakem, welcome Wake to <laughs> welcome to the Frankincense <laughs> podcast. Uh, I am your host, uh, Bobby Benavides, and I'm here with uh, also our other host. I am Jared St. Martin Brown. And we are um, we are coming together today, and um, I'm not even sure what episode we're on. I think it's like in we're in the mid '60s. I think we're in the '60s, and that's fine because, as I recall, a lot of great changes happened in the '60s, uh, <laughs> in the 1960s. Maybe great things will happen in the '60s for us. I don't know. Uh, who knows? We'll see what happens. But um, yeah. I'm I'm excited to be here with you because um, we have a. a, a great topic that this is Jared's Jared's topic so I'm going to let him introduce it and we're going to go ahead and talk some more about it so Jared take it this away is my man. Baby because I have been hearing the term border crisis uh, all you have to do is google it and you can find any news outlet just has story after story on the border crisis um, now I, I think it's it's hard to tell what people mean when they say the border crisis do they mean that there are people um kind of um I get. I don't know what the the right term for it is, but there there are so many people being detained at the border. There's so many people trying to enter the country at once um, that that and they can't all be processed. And there's just years and years and years of um, you know uh, wait list, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that I think when some people say border crisis, they're referring to like maybe the humanitarian issue of there are many children there, um, you know detained or, or being held somewhere and there's no place for them to go because there are many children that are separated from parents or have entered the country without an adult. Um, but I think for some people, I think the idea of border crisis means that there are just people trying to get into the United States of America, period. And we sh- should have some way to not allow all of these people to come, right? Mm-hmm. I, I guess when I hear an individual say border crisis i'm not sure exactly what's in their head but i think i kind of know yeah <laughs> i think i kind of know for a lot of people right and and i think it's not good i think when uh th- this is just a supposition here but i mean you know man i sound like a broken record but you know uh the effects of the donald trump presidency are still with us <laughs> And, you know, we, we all know the first speech that he gave when, of course, he descended uh, from Trump Tower on the Golden Escalator. And the very first speech of his uh, candidacy for the 2016 election was what? People are just pouring in. People are just pouring in, crossing the Mexican border. And I think I've quoted this so many times. I don't like having this in my head as a quote. <laughs> But I guess it's a necessary evil if you know if I'm gonna <laughs> uh, battle the uh, the negative attitudes uh, you know of our politicians. And he said, when Mexico, uh, now I'm paraphrasing Donald Trump here. This is not this is not me, of course. You know, famously paraphrasing Donald Trump that he said, when Mexico sends us its people, they're not sending their best people. You know, uh, they're drug dealers, they're, they're rapists, you know, and he, he gives all of these sort of uh, this list of every kind of criminal you can have. Mm-hmm. And then he says, uh, and some I assume are good people. That was sort of like the footnote tacked on to the end. But I think what was meant by the border crisis by him and by most people at that time, and maybe even most Americans now, is just this idea of what he said, people are pouring in, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm actually going to, you know, five years too late, um, confront that philosophy head on today. 
but I want to have this overarching question for um, for you and for our listeners, because for me, this isn't merely a uh, political discussion, and I guess nothing ever is on this show. You know, it's right. always uh, you know we're we're always considering the the um, the the church's you know the the church's reaction to everything, or the or the position that the church ought to be taking, or what would be the most Christ-like way to look at this. And right. so what I want to know is if, if we're Christian and we're, we are Christ-like, mm-hmm. can there be a such thing as a border crisis to us? Hmm. That is just a question to keep in mind as we go here. Because if the idea is that there are these sort of nameless, faceless people, this throng of people uh, coming into the United States of America, um, how can that be considered a crisis to Christians? Because um, I, I've heard Christians talk about it, and I've had conversations with local pastors who a big reason uh, why they supported uh, Donald Trump in 2016 um, wasn't just this, um, you know, this dubious claim that he was pro-life, but also uh, that there was a border crisis. You know, mm-hmm. And uh, when I would say, I, I'm not for Donald Trump, the immediate reaction was, okay, then you're for open borders. And that's what I got from pastors, you know? Right. Um, and, and so that was, that was sort of a concern there. I'm recognizing that this is a concern for Christian people, but I would submit to you that just in the purely church sense, church with a capital C, the whole world church, there cannot be a such thing as a border crisis to us. Okay. And this is because, um, political borders are man-made and, you know, the church, uh, the church worldwide is, this is like, you know, men of every language, you know, men of every nation, you know, bowing before Jesus Christ, the King. And that, that is our true kingdom that we're a part of. And, you know, the whole, the whole difference between, um, the United States and Mexico and the culture here and the culture there, that is just earthly stuff. No, I think that's and a I've been that's, thinking that's, about yeah, that's that's a very good point. I think it's a it's a true that's a that's a true statement. I think that um that what what has become this idea of borders. Now, I mean some people would say, well, it is biblical. There are borders in the Bible. Like in yeah, I mean there are there are like, you know, lines that have been drawn to separate certain areas. And yes, that's true. Um but there's some very biblical elements to how to handle those borders and how to and how to hold those borders um i guess loosely from a from a christian perspective from a from a from a perspective of those who are following yahweh and and living for christ's way so so yeah we'll be we'll be diving into that a little bit so go ahead sorry yeah so so we can we can dive into that i just want to come back to that but i'm but just you know at first i thought like well where's this going to go but the more i think about it the more i find it difficult to come up with some kind of Bible-based excuse to draw a definite line um, between, you know, uh, like like a to to really internalize those political borders uh, as Christians and say like I want to keep them the way they are, you mm-hmm. know, and I don't want people to cross them and I don't want new people to become Americans. I can't think of a Christian reason to get behind that line of thinking. And I think that um, what makes the border crisis, the border crisis is this idea that we um, just in a political sense 
don't have enough people to, I, you know, for lack of a better term, check in folks that want to come and participate and, you know, being American citizens. So, hmm. uh, but there are a lot of fears that, that people sort of have. And I actually think that some of those fears are unfounded. And I think that some of those fears are just sort of like political lies that we've sort of bought into as Christians. And I'd like to address a few of those. And then some of them are just really rooted in, you know, what we claim the United States of America is as a country. And, and do we really claim, do we really believe that or, or, or do we actually believe that? Okay. So okay. I'm just going to, I'm going to throw a few things out there. Okay. So one idea is uh, if if you if you're if you're a Christian and you're one of these sort of like eighty some percent of white evangelicals who you know were for Trump and really agree with this like build the wall thing you know and this this border wall, um, the idea is that Mexico uh, to paraphrase Trump again is not sending their best people, and there's this real anxiety that as people come in um, they are like jobless people. Okay, they're they're jobless. Um, they're maybe lacking skills. Is, is the is the uh, I guess the the supposition, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that and that um, they're going to come and they're going to compete with uh, people who are already here, current Americans, for the few jobs that are available, right? I would like to open everyone's mind to consider that um, you know the like just like the immigrants of old that that descendants like like me, like, you know, descendants of Europeans like me like to imagine, we like to imagine that our ancestors came here uh, with this sort of, with, with nothing, right, or very little, except for like this dream and this desire to work hard in the land of opportunity, right? right? That is part of our myth as like, you know, descendants of Europeans, you know, as Americans today, you know, uh, my ancestors were like Dutch and Scottish, and you didn't have to look very far to find someone in my family who would tell you, you know, well, when they came over, you know, they came here to, to find land and, and be farmers and get out from under the, um, the story is, is that they want to get out from under the oppression of the old world, right? Because they, there were just corrupt governments there. There were corrupt systems and, and they had what they had talent. They had industriousness. They had ideas. They had dreams, right? They had dreams. And, and, uh, but because of the oppressive systems they lived in, like dictatorships, like monarchies like you know um like classism like the powers that be that kept them down over there if they could come over here and get out from under that like the pilgrims you know just mm -hmm. this the stuff that's embedded into like our our american mythology that pilgrims came here for religious freedom that other people came here for a chance to uh not be taxed and not have to be <laughs> kept down like economically right and that they could they basically like find you know open land and resources that wasn't you know owned by lords and kings and you know governed by the pope you know and so that was that's the story that we tell ourselves i would submit to you that the people coming um you know uh, across the border across our southern border are people like that okay mm -hmm. if 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 it, that there's no difference between the european immigrants of you know 200 300 years ago and honduran uh, or Mexican immigrants that are coming through now. I say Honduran because I, I think the idea is a, a lot of the people um, supposedly uh, trying to come into America um, are, are not just like um, coming from Mexico, they're coming from South America. 
mm-hmm. um, and have actually walked all the way through Mexico, like to to escape, you know, just some corruption and crime and um, just some difficulties there. Right. Right. It's the same kinds of things that that supposedly my ancestors were were fleeing from. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 coming here and seeking business opportunity. OK, so that's what. I was always taught growing up is what was different about America. And maybe it's naive to think that, but I'm just saying that if if we believe that America is different, um, that if America is this special place, this land of opportunity, this melting pot, then let's just run with that for a few minutes, okay? Mm-hmm. And um, right, so so um, like in the old world, for example, someone like Albert Einstein would have been oppressed or persecuted into oblivion, but here in America, he could flourish as an astrophysicist, right? And and give us the theory of relativity, theory of relativity, and all kinds of other stuff, right? And I am assuming that immigrants coming through the southern border are just people like that. They're not just the sort of like um, this homogenous group of uneducated, useless people. I'm assuming that they are just as diverse in talents, just as diverse in work ethic as any group of Europeans that came through New York City and Ellis Island back in the day. So they're all going to come in with um, all levels of industriousness, all levels of ingenuity, all levels of business sense, right? right? So the idea is that they're not going to come here and just like take our jobs is what people always say or come in and, you know, um, you know, ruin our economy somehow by be- becoming a drain on our, you know, on our benefits and things like that. Um, I'm saying that like the ancestors of old, if we believe that that's a real thing, that they will come in with their own ideas, start their own companies, some of them, build their own businesses. How do we know that they're going to come and take over certain neighborhoods? How do we know they're not just going to build neighborhoods? How do we know they're not just going to found towns just like my ancestors did? Start a town and name it after yourself, you know? So we have Clarksburg and Smithtown and Shinston, you know? That's right. And so, and that these these places will will grow and exist and, and there's space out there. How do we know they're not going to like, you know, create their own water supplies and things like by digging wells and, you know, um, it, it can just happen, right? Mm-hmm. And so new industries, right? And then because the chains of oppression and persecution that were keeping them from achieving higher wherever they were, those are off. Supposedly, that's the story of America, is it not? That are we saying that that is not the story of America anymore, that that's the way it was 200 years ago, but that's over now. And if that's over now, Bobby, then what makes America different from any other country? Hmm. That's, that's good. I mean, that's powerful because, I mean, yeah, you got to, we have to, we have to, I guess we have to like tear that, that apart in chunks a little bit, right? Because, um, one of the things that you like, there's a lot to respond to in that, in that whole thing. Um, so in the, the, one of the things that you said about, let's go into the idea of them taking jobs. Let's, let's talk to that for a second, because, because I think that that's what makes America different from what it was, is that there weren't any jobs then, right? It was like, there were like, when they came here, it was like taking over, taking over land, conquering a people right Uh, we got to be honest about that right they conquered the native american people in order to push them aside so that way they can go ahead and build up and and um and create their villages and create who they were so that was going on but then what you know when we talk about the idea of these people coming up from you know south america mexico to take our jobs um i'm i'm from california 
Um, I, I've watched the jobs that were quote unquote taken um, by many of these um, illegal immigrants. Um, you know, yeah. if you want to use the use that term, uh, the the people who are going. Um, so they're, they're they're mowing lawns. Um, they're selling oranges on the side of the road. Yeah, they're picking the broccoli and the um, the garlic and working the vineyards and doing all this stuff, you know, in the farms that not a whole lot of white people were clamoring for. Right. Um, um, can I, uh, I would like to interject something. I was one of the white people that took those jobs uh, that got, because <laughs> did I ever tell you this? I, when I lived in Phoenix, Arizona, as soon as I got out of the military, uh, I was just going to go to college, right? I was just going to go to college. I was completely changing my career. I wasn't trying to like pursue the same type of career I had in the military. I had worked on planes in the military, which can mm -hmm. be pretty lucrative, but I wasn't interested anymore. I wanted to be a school teacher. So this was like a complete do-over for me, right? You know, mm -hmm. just change, change careers, start from scratch again. Right. So I get out of the military after my four years. And the first job that I get uh, was a lovely place. And what we did was pressure wash trucks we we had this truck that went from construction site to construction site and blew the mud off of construction equipment or hauling equipment for other companies right you know yeah and so the big old tractor trailer so it was me and my direct supervisor was a guy named eribeto hernandez uh shout out to beto uh, i know he doesn't listen to this this isn't his type of thing but i uh, you know <laughs> shout out to him and it was he was he was the only person that was bilingual, everybody else spoke Spanish. So I spoke English, he spoke English and Spanish, and everybody, everybody else spoke Spanish, right? And you had guys from all over Mexico. And uh, I became friends with plenty of them because I was there for two years, you know? Right. And uh, when I would get up in the morning, like we would, we would start our shift sometimes two, three in the morning, because this is when these trucks are like parked, you know? So you're, you're really doing this stuff like while the company sleeps, you know, you're mm -hmm. cleaning up for them. Sort of, sort of like jan janitorial type stuff, right? We're cleaning up their trucks. So we're getting up early in the morning. And I remember driving by like the Circle K's and the AMPMs and the corner stores. And there would be a bunch of Mexican people um, on the corner there. And what they're doing is they're waiting for uh, pickup trucks to come by and give them a ride to like, there were onion fields and there were, there were grape vineyards like all over Phoenix and stuff. They would orange orchards they would grow like two or three crops of grapes two or three crops of onion because it's so hot down there you can just like keep growing stuff like year round right. mm -hmm. so they'd be on like a third crop of like you know oranges for a year you know and they would hire these sort of day laborer guys and they would just pull up everybody would jump into a pickup truck and then they would take these guys and these guys would work but you know what i noticed i noticed that like you said um these were not jobs that white people were trying to get there was nothing stopping a a poor or underprivileged white person from going down to the AMPM at four in the morning and waiting to get picked up by a pickup truck to go to a farm. There was nothing stopping them, you know? Right. So the jobs were there, the jobs were there. And mm -hmm. I, you know, it was a great education for me because I needed this work and it honestly wasn't bad. Like it was, you know, the reason that the, the guys that I worked with stayed with it for two, three years is because really the guy who owned the company was, was paying all right to like wash trucks, you know? Yeah. He'd get so much per truck and he would, he'd be pretty fair about it with us, you know? So we really stuck with him and it, it ended up being like, you know, one of the funnest jobs of my life. But 
I got a real education. I got a real education then about, you know, how people, you know, how people survive. And I got a real education about how people, um, you know, how, how racist Americans can be <laughs> towards, you know, towards workers like that, just to put it, put it simply, you know, I got into some right. situations, you know, but yeah. So, so you, so, so again, so that's the, the jobs being taken. I mean, like mm-hmm. that's, that's the reality. Um, second thing is that when we talk about the, the first group of settlers of um, immigrants mm-hmm. that came over Ellis Island that were, you know, again, they were treated poorly when they came across, you know, um, many of them, sure. you know, I mean, they were like, and that's the history of that. It's like, if we want to look into that history mm-hmm. of, uh, of, you know, the delousing, the, the, the body yeah. shaving, the, the hosing down, all that stuff, um, mm-hmm. extreme um, measures in order to protect the, the American, you know, um, society, yeah. um, you know, like it was, it was interesting, but so you look at that initial stages of things happening with people coming over, uh, to do that work. Um, and then you look at what's happening now, the, another difference. And I think that this is the piece that we have to remember is that, um, let's just be honest. These are European people coming over. Right. So they, they match the culture a little bit better. They match the people a little bit better. So now it's not as much um, acclimation, I guess you can say, or um, even accommodation of of different culture, of different language, of different um, lifestyle, because they kind of would roll in and they'd be able to fit in fairly well. So it kind of so again, this is what's different about who we are in America today, is that we have a hard time letting different cultures be different because America because yeah. America was supposed to be this place where people can come and you can just be who you are celebrate your culture celebrate your, right. your life celebrate what you're about and we honor that but for we some still reason claim that, we still claim it, that that's what America is although we don't put it into practice in these situations and, and that and that, and that's the problem and and so like now what I'm going to do is because you know I want to keep to our, our time frame still um, is that so we look at the situation in this what's happening with the different cultures being kind of pushed aside or even neglected or or judged or um, told to stay out because you just aren't going to fit in here um, and then we look to the church and what the church's response should be to this is no, <laughs> like right. we're not going to stand for this. And yeah. what has to happen though, right? This is again, the conversation that we need to have around the church as a whole is the diversity of the church is that yeah. churches have become so, um, you, I mean, like you can have the, the white idea of church and then you have the African-American idea of church. And then you have the you even have the, the um, Mexican Hispanics um, yeah. uh, way of church. You have the Korean way of church. Like, and we've created this idea of like, we can't have it together. We have to yeah. be separated because we don't want to accommodate. We don't want to have to acclimate. We don't want to have to adjust ourselves. And it's very clear in scripture that it's not about us anymore. Once you follow, once you fall into this relationship with Jesus, it's no longer about you as an individual it is about the other. And that is the common theme of this podcast is that right. we are here for each other. We, we are not here for ourselves. And so when we know that there's somebody who's in need, a person who's in need 
um, a, 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 a place, that, a, a person who's looking for a place to, to call home, to find um, shelter in, to find support in, the first place they should find it is the church. But sadly, what we're finding is many of the people who are calling for border um, shutdowns or border closures mm-hmm. or calling this a border crisis are people who would claim to be evangelical Christians. Yeah, I'm sure that that's true because, I mean, that's where I first started to hear this stuff. And, you know, maybe that's like because that's the people that I run with. But, you know, sometimes you can sit down sometimes just right across the table having a cup of coffee from a pastor. And when you get onto a topic like this, he sounds exactly like, you know, Fox News. You know, he sounds like Sean Hannity or, you know, the late Rush Limbaugh, you know, just like just pouring it out. And so, um, and, and I would, I would actually say, and usually what, what I got was like, well, it's about the economy, but if I could, if I could just have somebody put aside the fear that immigrants will take jobs from current Americans, if I could just, if I could just get somebody to say, all right, let me put that aside. Is that the only thing as a Christian concerning you about people coming into the country? And so search your heart. Is there something else? Is it because you believe that the folks coming in must be fundamentally criminal? As Donald Trump said, uh, I don't know how to to address that if that's what you think a, a large group of people is necessarily going to bring. Is it because they haven't assimilated to what you believe is American culture? You know, and if that's the case. I, I don't think you have, I don't think you have a leg to stand on in, in your argument as a Christian. Okay. Um, because, you know, a lot of people would say, listen, you know, I, I believe in these ideals. Like even as a Christian, some of the ideals of America are, are like a good thing. Um, okay. Well, how about this freedom of speech? You know, I, I will say if freedom of speech exists, then it most certainly includes the, the freedom to speak Spanish instead of English. If one chooses. The United States has no official language. Mm-hmm. So if it's your problem with a group of people that they're not going to speak um, the language that you're comfortable with, you don't, there, there's no, there's no way that you can justify that by your religion. That is simply just a personal preference of yours. And it's probably not coming from a good place. Right. It's definitely not, it's definitely not coming from a spiritual place. No, and, and that's a that's a very that's I think so again, this is where we have to we have to search ourselves because if the economy is the big issue, right? We'll go ahead and uh, let's tackle the economy first. Um is the economy supposed to be more important than mm-hmm. the livelihood of humanity? Oh no, no, no. Yeah. So, and, and I think that that's that's where we have to say as Christians, right? The world would say, no, I mean, like we want our economy to boom and we want, and if these people are going to drain our economy, then we got to worry about that. We got to be sure. Okay. I get it. But Christians are no longer built around that. And, and Jesus made that very clear too. Right. He said, if you care more about your money, you, no man can serve two masters. And if God's heart is for humanity and for his creation to be cared for and loved and, and supported and, and lifted up and no longer oppressed and and have freedom then our economy is actually built to oppress 
like it's really when you listen well, yeah, you, yeah yeah and it's like because you got yeah. the rich getting richer the poor getting poorer there it is built to make sure that there's a balance in the social classes and so when you have the, that going on the economy is not christian yeah. caring for the love of the loving our neighbors where they're in their places that's christian so so the economy should never take the first right. it purely in the christ-like sense it should be a no-brainer that like if i'm doing well and some other person isn't doing well um then then i can share with them you know and yeah. and i mean i mean you know jesus is jesus already said if any if anybody asks anything of you give it to him yeah. You know? Well, I mean, when he, I says, mean, he says, when you do it under the least of these, you do it under me. If they're, if they yeah. are, if you clothe the naked, you, if you feed the hungry, yeah. if you were visited the prisoner, it's like, mm-hmm. that was me. Well, and if you're, and you know what, and to, and to just add to that, I mean, this doesn't matter. It's not a condition, uh, you know, in Jesus's um, commands for helping people. But if you're mostly interested in helping Christians, you got to understand that a large number of the immigrants at the southern border, the asylum seekers are going to be Christian. I mean, they're coming from like these predominantly Catholic countries, you know, and of course, not all. I can't say that some group is a homogenous group, but I think you're going to find a large percent of the large percentage of the people actually are believers in Christ. And And, and not that that matters, not that that matters, you know, but I mean, but, you know, you're going to have atheists in this group and you're going to have everybody. But, you know, but we can go to this. On on that mm. note, so let's say that you have a group of Catholics. Some mm. Protestants would say, "Well, they're not necessarily Christian." Yeah, which well, I, some well, Catholics. Are, there's plenty of Catholics will say that Protestants aren't Christian right. because Catholicism is the OG original church. You know? Right, and I, I've had a conversation with um with a with, yeah. with a, a mutual friend of ours actually at one point in time that that we had a conversation about Catholic friends and and Catholic family members, and they said, "Well, do you think they really believe in Jesus or Catholic?" And I was like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I do. Yeah, um, because I, I I see their actions and I see their words and I see that they line up with what Jesus would teach and and they they go to church and um, so I believe that. Um, so anyway, that's a whole other thing. But you will but, find the same number of fakers in a Catholic church as you will in a Protestant church. Exactly. I I've, I've looked for a denomination that isn't full of hypocrisy and I can't find it because once you start talking to the people in that denomination, they go, okay, okay. They will tell you the dirt on their denomination. They'll be like, I'll tell you how people are hypocritical in our church. <laughs> yeah. But, and so then, and then let's go into the idea of like, maybe there aren't Christians there or aren't people who have a faith practice there. That's then fine. But guess what? What a great mission field, right? If we want to go into that mission idea, it's like, totally like the church should be saying, you know what? We're going to meet them at the border. We're going to meet their yeah. needs. And you know what? We're going to find a way to get so- them here. We're, and we might actually have immigration lawyers that are going to our church. Let's get them there. Let's figure out how to, mm-hmm. how to support them. Let's put some money into their, into their, into their place. That way they can go ahead and be there to help them in the process of getting these people to where they are protected. And we can make sure that things are falling in line because that's where the church should be. These people, yeah. like, and, so we have to acknowledge that, okay, look, we are missing a great opportunity to be present in the lives of people who are who are looking for a better life and a better way of going. And they're looking for the church to rise up and speak. And I, I mean, I'll, I'll even say, it, I'm sure God is going, this is your opportunity. These are people who this may is have- This it, right? They, yeah. you, guys, you guys are waiting for me to return. And one of the things that I say in my scripture is that for me to return is when everybody's had a chance to hear the gospel, when, when the gospel is spread across- so some of these people won't be coming up, never even had the opportunity to hear the gospel. And we're mm-hmm. saying, oh, you can't come over our border. Well, guess what? Like, 
look, you could be missing the opportunity to be that person who says, I'm going to be part of spreading the gospel across the world to the last person because they might be sitting at the border going, I'm looking just for a better place for my family. I'm looking for Uh a better place. I'm looking for shelter and freedom. Where can I find that? And the church says, well, you can find it here because Jesus gave it to us. Well, who's Jesus? And all of a sudden it's like, we have, we have opened a door and now it's like, we cannot allow ourselves to get so closed off and think that these borders are, are physical things. Like when we want to build a wall, what, like that is ridiculous to me. It, when we want to say it it's, a, it's, it's a crisis, the crisis is the fact that the church, like, I'm going to go this way. <laughs> I'm going to go this yeah. way. The, the, the crisis at the border is not the people coming over. It's the lack yeah. of love and empathy and compassion that's being shown at the border. That's the crisis. Bob, I have to quote this. I'm just, this is, I'm just going to be quoting this all week long on social media. So. Go for it. <laughs> I just write that way you just said. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to the tape because that's it in a nutshell. That's what I'm looking for right there. I just want it. Okay, I, I, I almost said I just want to hear a pastor say that, but you are a pastor, and I just heard you say yeah. that. But anyway, yeah. so but I want to hear, but I want to hear some of these other guys who are talking about no, they're gonna come in here and take our jobs. Like, dude, yeah. you are a pastor of a church. Like this, that should not be your concern right now. But yeah. but you're right. Like there, there is a there is a mission field there. So either way, it's like if you want to help you, you, if you're helping somebody at the border, you're either a helping a brother and sister in Christ, mm-hmm. uh, or you're b uh, you're showing the love of Jesus to somebody who doesn't know Christ, and therefore you know bringing the gospel to to the to the lost. Yeah. So, and so I mean, so for for us as as people of Christ, yeah, we should not look at this as a border crisis, but a border opportunity, right? It's right. a it's a way for us to love and serve and to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And we can look at scripture all day long, right? The scripture that tells us, like, there's so many scriptures that tell us what we're supposed to be doing with people, with with strangers, with with neighbors. You know, we could look into, um, gosh, let me even think about like, um, you can say like, um, you know, Proverbs, I believe it's in Proverbs 24, 27, 28. It's in the 20s, um, but it says like he who gives to the, like he who gives to the poor, right? Um, oh gosh, hang on. Um, I, I know this in my head. I just got to get to it. Um <laughs> If I will you, sing a hymn to everyone while you look it up. Yeah, uh, well, no, it, it's it's basically. I mean, it's basically like whoever whoever gives to the poor um, won't ever want. Um, but like, if you shut your eyes, you're going to be cursed. Something like that, right? It's yeah. like it's like the, like if you if you keep your if you keep your eyes closed, you're going to be missing something out. Um, you know, we know in James, or it says the religion that is pure and holy, right, is is caring for the widows and the orphans. Um, you know, in Proverbs twenty one. Um, if you shut your ear to the poor, right? If you shut it off, you're gonna get your your cries won't be answered. You know, like I'm paraphrasing because I'm not a biblical scholar, but I like, you know, I wish I could say I, I memorized scripture completely. But but there's but there's so many pieces of scripture that point to what it looks like to care for the poor and care for the needs of those who who are in need and mm-hmm. care for the um care for the broken and the oppressed. And yeah. And it just it it pains me to know that the yeah. church has said, um, there's a crisis. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, maybe it's a crisis to the world. Maybe it's a crisis yeah. to our, our country's leaders because they don't know how to handle it. 
but the church should be seeing it as no this is this is our opportunity to show yeah. what it looks like to love our neighbor and to care for those who are in need and to be who god has called us to be as the church um with empathy and compassion and yeah. truth and love and peace but you know it it that's all true but 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 for those people who just are feeling like sick to their stomach like oh what we're supposed to like feed the world and this is a big you know charity case for us and we're well okay i still say it's not entirely charity i think that the people coming into the country can be a good thing um because uh you know well i mean again we have this whole idea that um you know well, one thing I've heard people say, put it this way, so people think like it, it, it's char it's charity unless when they come here, they already know a trade or have a degree and you hear about like, you know, people have to have already been hired here or they have to have some kind of advanced degree, like be a doctor so that they will be contributing to our culture as if educated people, formerly educated people are the only ones who can contribute to our culture. That flies in the face of so much that we tell ourselves and our children about what America is, you know, because one of the components of the American dream is that we that something that we working class folks like to tell ourselves is that in America, advanced education isn't always necessary for great success. We like to point to people like Bill Gates and then like Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. You like, you know, these people supposedly failed out of college. Uh, but then they went and started these companies like in their garage because, you know, they had this this ingenuity. And because they were in America, not some other pl other place where you have to, like, go through the proper channels to, like, climb the ladder. You can circumvent the ladder if you have an idea and a dream and can borrow some money in your parents own garage, you know. And so the idea is like, you know, if people you, you don't necessarily have to, like, come in here with a trade or an advanced degree to become a person who contributes. Maybe you just have these like ideas that we don't know about. Everybody's got these, you know, stories about like, you know, the, the um, immigrants uh, of the industrial revolution who came to this country from Scotland and started these, you know, railroad companies and started these like big factories, like in New York and Pittsburgh, you know, and the robber barons, like, you know, their, their parents like came from, you know, Ireland and, and they were in Holland, you know, and like they, they, they made them, they built America, you know, and it's all immigrants. Right. And I'm just like, yeah, I mean, they, was anybody checking them at the door and going, all right, but you know, what universities did you attend, you know, in, you know, in London, you know, nobody, you right. That's yeah. the thing. And I'm saying that as people come in, it's like, yeah, okay. I understand that like a middle-aged person coming in here, um, isn't necessarily going to like, um, you know, rise to the top or whatever, uh, like immediately, um, you know, 40 year old dad and mom or something. But I, I do believe that, um, that their children, uh, can just sort of be bringing the, these ideas, this sort of fight. Um, and you're going to have young men and women, you know, you're going to have 20 somethings that, you know, they had an idea for a business in Honduras they can't do it in Honduras, but they can do it in the United States of America. And how do we know they're not just going to hire a bunch of like, you know, white people to work for them, and give us all jobs, you know? Yeah. And I'm just like, so there, I'm saying that I believe in people. I believe in people's ability to contribute. I don't think they're just a worthless huddled mass, you know? And I'm saying huddled mass because I'm thinking of like the Statue of Liberty 
uh, poem. I don't, I don't think they're just like, I think they, they might be a huddled mass, but they're not like useless. I'm saying they're coming with all the kind of great things that human beings can bring, you know, I'm believing in that, you know, but I guess people look at that and go, well, they're from Honduras or they're from Mexico. Therefore they can have nothing to offer to me and buddy, guess what? You're racist. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I know that there's the fear and, and let's acknowledge that. I know that there's the fear of like the, the group, like there are those people in there that may or may, may be up to no good. Um, but let's just be honest. I mean, like, what's that percentage? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and the same percentage of, of like, you know, that's already here. Listen, we have tons of white people storming the Capitol on January 6th. You know, that, that, that percentage is already there in any given group of people. You're going to have like, you know, the haters and the crazies, you know? Um, but for the most part, you're going to have like people who can just be like normal people. No, no worse or better than me, you know? Right. I mean, and so, yeah. The fear, the fear is understandable in the sense of not yeah. knowing what what can be expected, um, but the opportunity definitely uh, trumps the the that 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 possibility, right? It is it, the the opportunity to love, the opportunity to serve, the opportunity to teach, the opportunity to encourage, the opportunity to show compassion, peace, and empathy um, in order to promote the kingdom of God. I think that um, that opportunity trumps the the fear of well they may be bringing some bad stuff over. It's like well you know what um, that I don't think Jesus was ever afraid of that. I don't think he told his disciples yeah. to be afraid of that. I think he he told them to go knock on doors and share the story. He didn't say make sure that they're safe before you do it. Um, yeah. You know, I mean it's well, and I think for a lot of people there's there's an anxiety that we haven't mentioned yet, but I'm just gonna go ahead and say it is that a lot of people feel like um, if too many non-whites flourish in this country, then um, the white majority is going to lose this its power that it claims not to have, but everybody sort of senses it has and is afraid for it to lose, you know? So white folks will tell you, no, I'm not privileged, but they also believe that if they're not in the majority when it comes time to vote, that uh, that, uh, that that's going to be detrimental. That like, if we get, if we get uh, political leaders who don't look like me and don't have the same kind of last name as me, that's gonna spell danger for me it, and we're we're saying this in a, in a country where we claim it doesn't happen <laughs> right we're saying like we don't right i saw a meme one time and it just was really told the truth it was like we don't it, by we it meant white people it said we don't want to become a minority in our own country and then the meme said why are they treated poorly here or something <laughs> so you see what I'm saying? So the same yeah. people who say, no, minorities have like total equality, just like everybody else. But if we become a minority, we're like, oh, crap, no more equality for us. We're not in power anymore. Right. So the idea is like, you know, this this idea of like a loss of power. People have always sensed that that's always been a that's very deep. That's very deep in the psyche of a white American person. I hate to tell you. I mean, it, it goes all the way back to the beginning. But when we were really became a democracy in this sense of like what we were, um, you know, did you know that um, it, Teddy Roosevelt 
in his time, there was this idea of, of course, there was a war in the Philippines, you know, and we, we basically had the power and the opportunity to completely take over the Philippines as the United States of America, uh, like, like with Hawaii, and make the Philippines a state, okay? Mm. So there, there could have been a, a, a 50, well, I mean, there were 48 states then. So the 49th state could have been the Philippines. And this was even before Alaska and Hawaii, right? So we could have 51 states. And people thought, wow, that would make America like an empire for one thing, because then we would be like the British Empire, where they said the sun never sets on the British Empire. And that's because like, there was always some part of the British Empire that was where it was not nighttime, right? Right. It was all around the world. And so, but people were against, like including writer Mark Twain what, uh, and many other thinkers of his time, um, just to kind of give you a frame of reference on the history of it. It was when Mark, Mark Twain was alive and did not want us to take over the Philippines and, and make it a state um, and make its people citizens. But it's not for like a good reason. It's for a racist reason. The idea was that would flood our citizenship with so many non-whites that maybe we wouldn't be electing white presidents anymore if we mm. got too many non-white people to be U.S. citizens. So the idea was like, no, no, like keep places like that, places like Puerto Rico, just let that be territories and not like full citizens, you know. So yeah. there's always been yeah. this sense of if 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 uh, America is not like majority white, then we're not going to have the people in charge that white people want in charge. And I think there's a little bit of an anxiety like that, like um, because let me tell you, there are some towns in this country that could use some immigrants. OK, there are some towns because I, I learned this very early on. A town that is not growing is shrinking and by shrinking, like dying, like building you know you look at like a downtown main street usa in a town like my hometown you know like where i grew up and there are empty buildings all up and down the street um you know industry has moved away you know um it, you know i think there are people that would love to see an area like that like like gentrified or revitalized but there's there's no chance of it because there's 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 no one who wants to be down there in fact people are leaving you know people are leaving the city and if a bunch of People came and said, we're going to make this our town. We're going to start businesses here. You know, hi, we're from Honduras. And, you know, we're going to just start buying buildings in this town. And, you know, I, I think it would be a wonderful thing for, for the economy here. But I think there would be this anxiety that it's like, oh, my gosh, our town isn't white anymore. Like, what, what, what does that mean for us? You know, mm -hmm. uh, our, our mayor. Oh, oh, no, we're not going to elect the white mayor. You know, and people don't want to say that that's a thing. People want to say, I'm not racist. I would never look at a man's skin color or a woman's skin color when I vote for them. But secretly, there is that concern. Mm -hmm. Always. No. It's always there. It's just, it's just in the unfortunate racist DNA. You know, and, and but I, for one, would would like to see about like five thousand immigrants come into my town and open some businesses. That would be nice. So, hmm. yeah. And then again, this is where the church opens the door and says, "Come on in, right? Teach us your culture. Um, maybe even teach us some of your worship songs. Um, maybe even join our worship team and create a multicultural worship team." Um, maybe even join in the, the, the worship, just, just come and serve in our kids group, you know, come teach our kids some, some of your Honduran 
you know, children traditions, you know, because um, all of a sudden, this is when the kingdom of God becomes real, right? right. Is when we realize that we are the kingdom of God's multicultural. It's not going to be, and I know, and I know people would say, well, there's no culture in the. No, I get it. What I'm saying though is that the kingdom of God here on here on earth right now is multicultural. Yeah. He's created every single one of us to have the 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 cultures that we have. And we're supposed to be learning from each other and growing with each other and being a part of something bigger with each other. And if we can't see beyond the borders, we're, we're, we're missing, we're missing out. We're, we're missing an opportunity to, to shine uh, the glory of Christ into the lives of people. Um, we're missing the opportunity to, to help people understand who God is for them. Um, uh-huh. And when you think of America as a land of opportunity, you know, a lot of people would say that, there's a Christian element to who we are. Um, you and I have said, like, we know we're not a Christian nation, but there, there is a Christian element to our nation. Um, and so and I'm true. sure we're going to say there's heavy Christian influence. Yeah. And I actually think that it's, um, I think the good parts, I think, I think when the Christ-like parts of Christianity I've had a great influence on this culture and I think the just the selfish scary sinful human parts of this culture uh, of the church of church people I should say you know mm-hmm. the uh, we have we come with some very unchristlike baggage as a group yeah. Yeah. because we're we're not perfect once we become Christians you know we're we're still being sanctified you know mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, we give ourselves over sometimes to the, those fears and um, those sort of petty, unchristlike beliefs, and that unfortunately has had a big influence on American culture as well. Right. So we've definitely brought the good and the bad as a church to yeah. to the, to this to this particular nation. So yeah. And so these people are coming over expecting to see that, or yeah. they've heard there's a Christian element to our nation. Mm-hmm. then the church needs to be pointing them to what that Christian element is, the right That's stuff, right. the truth stuff. Right. And so, um, you know, it's our opportunity. It's not a crisis. It's an opportunity. Um, and it's only a crisis if you want to look at it from the economic, worldly perspective. Right. But it's an opportunity like when you look at it from the kingdom of God. If you're the president of the United States, this is a crisis because you got all these people of different belief systems looking to you to figure out what to do about this. But I'm saying like, I'd love to see just a loud Christian voice go, okay, we're not joining this thing that says like, uh, we, you know, we got to stop people from entering the country because they're definitely going to do evil. You know, uh, we need to not join in that, you know, yeah. that's, that's one aspect of Trumpism. Uh, and I, I hate to, I, I don't mean to call it Trumpism. I'm sorry, because I know that that fear has existed a long time and those yes. police and all he did was capitalized on it yes. and basically start putting it into words. It just really bothered me how enthusiastic I saw Christian people get when he put it into words. They said, there he is. There's a guy that's not afraid to say it, say the truth about, you know, these, these immigrants, you know, or these illegal people, you know, and, uh, and people cannot be illegal and the church should have never said so, you know? Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to close with, with this thought. Um, because one of the biggest things that the evangelical movement has said is that we want to be pro-life. Yeah. And so pro-life 
we've talked about this the whole pro-life or are you pro-life or are you just anti-abortion right. um but if you're going to claim pro-life then that's from womb to tomb and what that means is you see these people coming up from honduras mexico wherever they're coming from you got to care about their life you got to care about their livelihood yep. and if they're fleeing from danger in their community from from lack mm -hmm. of resources, from uh, the inability to be cared for by their government. Um, they're just yeah. trying to find something better for themselves to be able to find a place to live, freedom again, health. Yeah. Um, that's their life. So if you're going to claim pro-life, put your money where your mouth is. And this, yeah. is a, this, is, this is a great opportunity to show it. Yeah, and I guess my final two cents is if you claim to be Christ-like, then remember what Jesus said about whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. So you are um, you got to look past the politics, you got to look past the racism, you got to look past the fear, um, you got to look past like all of that nonsense, and you got to look straight through to I have an opportunity to serve the living Christ right now. And when it comes time for the judgment, when Jesus separates the sheep from the goats, okay, I, I want to be one of the ones where he says, I needed a drink and you gave me a drink. You know, I needed a home and you gave me a home. I was naked and you clothed me. Mm. You yeah. gave me a chance. You gave me a chance. And then I moved to your town and started a business and improved <laughs> your economy. I'm uh, saying that's going to happen. I'm telling you, the, the geniuses the, the geniuses of the next generation are down there at the border. And all we got to do is let them come in and flourish in America. And then we'll benefit from their knowledge just like we have from immigrants past. <laughs> nice. Uh, well, hey, man, great conversation. Um, this is, a, I mean, it's, it's a big one, you know, and I think it's something that we have to be talking about and thinking about. So, so I thank you for, uh, for bringing it to the table today. Yeah. Well, I think we've got to get open-minded about it. I think we got to just quit listening to, you know, Hannity and we got to quit reading the Rush Limbaugh books about it. And we just have to start reading the Jesus books about it, man. We got to start, we got to start listening to, to what would Jesus do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um, and so, again, hey, this is the Frank and Says Podcast. And if, you're, uh, if you enjoyed this conversation, if you listen to the other, other conversations, you like what you're hearing, rate the podcast, share the podcast, comment on it. Because um, the more that happens, the more people can get involved, and we appreciate that. So, again, uh, hey, we appreciate you listening. Thank you for joining in with the conversation. Again, this is the Frank and Sets Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Benavides. I am Jared St. Martin Brown. Peace. And we, we, will, we will talk to you later. Bye.